Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hello, and welcome to Scary to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. Lately, I've been getting more requests for less sound effects, and that kind of lines up perfectly with the fact that there is a a ton of construction going on at my apartment building. They're ripping out the entire parking lot. I was hesitant to do a normal episode this week and risk an author's work being wrecked by the distant sounds of dump trucks and yelling and big machines backing up. I think you just heard a little bit of it right now. Honestly, I keep... This episode is coming out a little late and I'm recording a little late because I kept trying to find a window this week where everything was quiet and it was like it wouldn't it wouldn't come. And then at night there was fireworks and people fighting and it's just been a pretty loud week and I would have prepared but they gave us <laughs> this is just oh my god this is just like personal dumb stuff. I already complained on Twitter but um they waited till about 3 p.m. Friday night to say, Oh, by the way, you're all going to have to find parking somewhere else, and we're tearing up your parking lot for two weeks. And in L.A., there is no street parking. That was one reason I was really adamant. Uh, I've lived in a lot of places around L.A. where there was no um, like set parking, and parking has just been a nightmare for most of my, like, how long have I lived here? Like 12 years in LA. So this place, I was like, we gotta have parking. We finally had parking and it was like, I had these like crazy flashbacks of like, no, we got to try to find parking again. Um, so I only had a two day notice that they were going to start construction and I didn't have a chance to prepare a whole episode while it was still quiet on the home front. So I apologize for any noises. They shouldn't be too loud. You'll just, my, my audio just won't be as clean as, I've, you know, I normally do. So I'm so, so sorry. And I'm so sorry for new listeners. Um, this is embarrassing. I'm, I usually have very clean audio. I'm very proud of my audio. I take a lot of time and care into it. But this week, it's a little different. Um, <laughs> so anyway, to kill two birds with one stone, this is going to be one of my random topic episodes. For those who are new around here, these are episodes I do periodically when we take a break from fiction and talk about real-world phenomenons. I usually play some spooky ambient music, which I'm going to do, or even some soothing sounds that are, you know, kind of go with the stories I'm talking about while I talk about ghosts and time slips, or in today's case, mysterious disappearances. 
That's right. This week, I'm going to touch on a few mysterious disappearances throughout history. I wanted to find a lot more really old stories. You know me, I love really old stuff. But most of the older stories have details that are forever lost to time, honestly. Oddly enough, um, when for these kind of mysterious disappearance stories, they're a little less um, mysterious when you have too little details. It's like the mysterious part of the mysterious disappearances is that you don't have enough details. But if you don't have enough details, then they're just sort of blurbs. I have a couple of, for example, in year 1021, the 6th Fatimid Caliph and 16th Ismaili Imam Al-Hakim B. Amar Allah rode his donkey to the Makatam Hills for one of his regular nocturnal meditation outings and failed to return. A search found only the donkey and his blood-stained garments. That's pretty much all I could find. So, and another one is, in 30 BC, Helios and Philadelphus, sons of Cleopatra and Mark Antony, and the younger half-brothers of Caesarion, left Egypt for Rome, after which their fates are unknown. Yeah, so you can kind of see what I'm talking about. It's like there aren't enough details to make them mysterious. Like, was it unknown because history just sort of lost track of them? Or did they actually go missing? Was there a search? Were people worried? Was there a plot against them because they were the children of Cleopatra and Mark Antony? Who knows? So, yeah. See, it's fascinating, but almost just a little too little information exists in both cases these days for us to dig into them. Um, I was also disappointed to find that most lists of mysterious disappearances feature mostly western world cases. I'd love to do another one of these episodes because I realized that I'm not going to have enough time to do all of the stories I wanted to do, so I'll definitely do another one of these in the future. And um, they're just... There were, it was all western stories um, so if you know some really fascinating cases from the eastern part of the world please let me know, I would love to research those, I think that these I, I mostly go off of lists of you know mysterious disappearances and I'd love to have a few more buzzwords to really dive deeper into more less European, American things you know um, so, the first story I'm going to talk about this evening is that of Kenny Veach in the M Cave. On December 3rd, 2013, the YouTube channel of Dr. Stephen Greer uploaded a video called Son of an Area 51 Technician. In the fall of 2014, a YouTube user named Snakebit McGee commented the following, This ain't nothing. I am a long-distance hiker. One time, during one of my hikes out by Nellis Air Force Base, I found a hidden cave. The entrance to the cave was shaped like a perfect capital M. I always enter every cave I find, but as I began to enter this particular cave, my whole body began to vibrate. The closer I got to the cave entrance, the worse the vibrating became. Suddenly, I became very scared and hightailed it out of there. It was one of the strangest things that ever happened to me. He later added, I have been doing this sort of thing for over 20 years. I go where no one goes, and I never take anyone with me. 
I find skulls of all shapes and sizes, and occasionally I find really old animal traps. I hike over mountaintop after mountaintop, and sleep on peaks under the stars. Sometimes I have to scale giant cliffs to get myself out of a jam, but I always make it back. I'm beat up and tired, and my pack is almost always heavier than when I left. I had to be rescued only one time by helicopter. I had blown out my left leg at the top of the mountain, and I only had one cup of water left to get me 20 miles back to my truck. It was also over 100 degrees out, so I have a very good safety record. This commenter was Kenny Veach. Well, Kenny's comment drew some attention among the other users. You see, Nellis Air Force Base in Nevada is known for its abundant UFO activity. You can look up pictures, and there's even a video from 1995 that I watched. It's about three minutes of a UFO allegedly rising from the base, much to the shock of the people recording the video. Knowing that, and reading Kenny's strange encounter with what sounded to many like some kind of electromagnetic force field, users urged Kenny to find the M-Cave again, and this time to bring a video camera. Kenny was happy to oblige. Kenny only has five videos on his channel, all of them pretty interesting in their own way, and I think they really give a good idea of Kenny's bright personality. They were all made in September and October of 2014, three of which are auditions for Shark Tank for various inventions. One of the inventions being something called a Glowler Bear, which is a small stuffed polar bear that Kenny made by hand and stuffed full of glow-in-the-dark beads. The fourth video is what can only be described as an odd sales pitch to potential home buyers. Kenny was attempting to sell his home, and the video is an hour-long negotiation of sorts. He wanted to sell to people who not only let him keep living in the house as a caretaker, or as he describes it, sort of an Alice from the Brady Bunch figure, but that they also leave the house in the exact way he had decorated and furnished it. He was a fan of the cowboy southwestern type style, and he had many small treasures throughout the home that he had collected on his hikes. Again, not your average sales pitch, Kenny seemed like an interesting guy. The fifth video is the requested search for the M-Cave. He starts out at an old abandoned mine. He zooms into the bottom of the mine shaft, explaining how dangerous it was and that to fall in would mean certain death. He has a handgun with him, a 9mm I believe he says. It's a neat video, lots of beautiful desert scenery and animals. He collects wild pine nuts. However, he has no luck in locating the M-Cave. This video currently has over 20,000 comments, ranging from theories to warnings, some from when Kenny first posted, like, no, do not go back there. If you find the cave entrance, don't go in. You won't get out. Some from recently, like this one from four weeks ago, Jason Collins wrote, Timestamp 1544 to 1548. If you look closely, it's like a cave has been covered up with rocks at the entrance. When Kenny Beach says it looks like this, it is the M Cave. 
And honestly, people were still commenting on this as of 45 minutes ago while I'm writing this. On November 10th, 2014, Kenny told his girlfriend and family that he would be going on a trip to the desert and would be back in about two days. He never returned. Twelve days after he left for his trip, authorities found his cell phone by an abandoned mine shaft, possibly the one Kenny showed us in his video. And that was the last trace anyone has ever seen of Kenny Veach. The theories are wild. You can find a lot of them in the comments I mentioned or all over the internet. A lot of people have written about this. One commenter writes that after one cut during his video, Kenny seems shaken and like he had just spoken to someone. He theorizes that Kenny did find the cave and a government official told him not to record it. Speaking of government officials, many think he stumbled on a secret entrance to a classified part of the Nellis Air Force Base, and that he was abducted by our own government for attempting to expose secrets to the internet. The desert is also known for vortexes, some believing that they could lead to other dimensions. Could Kenny have slipped into something beyond our understanding? I could leave you hanging with all those theories, but to me, the most likely outcome comes from four years ago, in a comment on the MK video from Kenny's girlfriend, Sherion Pilgrim. Before I begin, this is a heavy warning for talk of suicide. Also, it apparently has not been confirmed that this was actually his girlfriend, but she left a couple comments and it seems pretty genuine to me. I'm just going off my gut though. But here's what she had to say. I am the girlfriend that Kenny spoke of in the video. There are so many posts. I had no idea until a friend let me know. So many people are wondering what happened and guessing different things. You are heartfelt about the sadness around what has happened with Kenny. He has not been found, and I feel that he probably will not be found for many, many months, if ever. I want to share what I know and feel about what happened, so that you might bring some closure and understanding in your own lives. Kenny absolutely loved hiking in the desert. It was his very, very favorite thing to do. We hiked and camped together all over the Nevada desert, sometimes nine hours in a day. We found many abandoned mining towns, usually referred to as ghost towns by Nevada hikers. We explored many caves and mine shafts. We were always careful how we explored them, but Kenny was a bit more daring than I was. We wore snake guards, sun-protected clothing, used walking sticks, brought enough water and food for the hiking hours, and had extra water-slash-food in the car. He rarely drank all of his water. We took wonderful pictures of all sorts of things we saw. Rusted cars, old falling-down buildings, cemeteries, mines, wild animals, tarantulas, scorpions, trees, cactus, and flowers. Our deserts are beautiful if you have a love for deserts. They are not spooky scary, but you do have to be careful of the terrain and of course bring enough water and food. We always were excited when we saw desert wildlife, like the bighorn sheep in the video. They are stunningly beautiful to see in person in our desert. 
we would stand quietly still to watch them as long as possible. I was so very excited to see the one he filmed in his video. I want you to know that I do not think Kenny had an accident. I believe he committed suicide. He battled depression for many years and would not take medication or see a doctor. He quit his job a little more than a year before he disappeared. He wanted to see if he could sell his inventions and do what he called cowboy interior design for homes. He bought his first home five years ago and had an amazing ability of decorating in this style. He was not successful in getting a business going and was running out of money after a year of not working. He no longer wanted to work in a quote-unquote job for someone else, and as his money decreased, he became more and more depressed. He really did not look for another job. In early October, with seeing his depression increase, I said to him, You aren't going to pull a Robin Williams on me, are you? This is when he opened up more about his depression and his thoughts much of his life about suicide. His father committed suicide when Kenny was in his early 20s. When I asked him the question, he answered me with, If I decide to do it, you will be okay because you are good at the law of allowing. He asked me what I would think of him if he did it. He also said if he decided to do it, no one will ever find me. It would be easy to do something like this in our desert with the number of natural caves and mines. He could hike many miles in a day, and there's no telling where or how far he could have hiked during his three-day, two-night solo hike. When he did not call me after the third day of being gone, I called missing persons. The search for him was started within a couple of days of my call. Over 30 search and rescue team members searched three different times on foot. One helicopter flyover was done and there was no trace of Kenny or any of his camping things. They found his car in the area I told them it would be. They did find his cell phone by the mineshaft in the video. The mineshaft was only about a four-hour hike from his car. It is my feeling he left it behind so that he could not be tracked from the GPS in it. He also did not take his video camera with him on this solo hike. It was left in his home so he had no intention of filming anything. I share this with you for two reasons. First, so that you have more of an understanding who Kenny was and to bring some peace or understanding to the situation. Secondly, if any of you do decide to go out into our desert to look for him or the M-Cave, be careful and bring enough water and food. Walking sticks are a good idea and not doing solo hikes Bring a GPS and make sure that you have let family or friends know that you are heading out for the hike and where and when you will be returning. She goes on to give a few more tips about hiking in the desert and ends with, I had many wonderful experiences with Kenny and will always remember them and have a place of love in my heart for him and the wonderful things we did together. I am healing from my loss and look forward to new experiences with desert hiking, camping, and taking beautiful pictures of our desert. Enjoy your adventures of life, and thank you for the kind, loving comments sent my way. Much love, Sherian. 
Now, before we go on to our next story, as I talked about in the beginning of this episode, I have had a very loud and very stressful week. I did my taxes this week, and for those of you who work independently, um, you know how how stressful those are and how we usually end up having to pay the government instead of getting a fun return. Uh, so that's all to say, I don't think I could have made it through this week without Caliper CBD. What's great about CBD is that it helps you feel better without making drastic changes to your routine. For instance, like I can take it at night with my tea to make me just chill out and calm down. It works very gently. My problem, I've tried CBD in the past. Actually, while I was in the desert, my mom is really into CBD and she uses those oil droppers. Um, it's gross. I don't like a mouthful of oil. I don't know about everyone else, but I just hate, I, I'm like a texture person and having a mouthful of oil just grosses me out. And the taste is, you could just taste it. You know, caliper, it's a better way to consume CBD. And I'm going to tell you why. Unlike CBD oils, caliper CBD is a powder. It's completely tasteless. It's seriously, I have a very sensitive palate and I can't taste it in anything I've mixed it into. It's been amazing. There's no oily feeling or residue. It's precisely 20 milligrams in each packet of Caliper CBD, so you're not ever questioning how much CBD you're taking, which is the problem with the droppers too. It's like I take a full dropper, it's probably different every time. I like to take it in the evening, I like to mix it with my tea, I have tea every evening. I. I'm just a typical spooky lady. We all love our tea, you know, spooky ladies. We love our tea, but my husband, he does it in the morning with his coffee. You know, it really depends on your body, whether you want that calm in the morning because you're a little, little stressed for work, or if you want to relax at the end of the day and calm and maybe ease your sore muscles from the day. So rediscover your best self with a CBD product that's clinically proven to be superior to standard CBD oils. And I'll tell you why your body is mostly water oil and water don't mix. CBD oil is no different. So it's clinically proven that you absorb 450% more CBD with caliper CBD powder compared to tinctures. That's crazy. That's absolutely wild. And caliper gives you all the benefits of CBD in just 15 minutes. That's about twice as fast as CBD oil. I know I always have to be like, is it working yet? Is it working yet? When it comes to the oil, with Caliper, I've never had that feeling of, is it working yet? You know. <laughs> Caliper CBD comes in affordable 10 and 30 count packs. You can get started for under $20. Individual packets give you the benefits of CBD wherever you go. Unlike some products out there, Caliper is completely THC free. All the goodness of CBD with no high. All natural, non-GMO ingredients, no fillers, added chemicals, or artificial flavors. So get 20% off your first order when you use promo code SLEEP at trycaliper.com sleep. You can try Caliper CBD risk-free for 30 days. If you don't love it, they'll give you a full refund. So what's the harm? That's trycaliper.com sleep. Don't forget promo code SLEEP for 20% off your first order. Back to the show. The next story is one I had never heard of before. It has some crazy twists, so get ready, everybody. This is the disappearance of the Sarah Joe and her five passengers. On February 11, 1979, in the town of Hana, 
on the Hawaiian island of Maui, five friends decided to take out the Boston whaler called the Sarah Joe for a short fishing trip. A Boston whaler is not the type of boat you take out onto the main sea. I'll put a picture of it on the Instagram for you to see what kind of boat I'm talking about. So these five friends were Peter Hanchett, Benjamin Kalama, Ralph Malayakini, Scott Mormon, and Patrick Wozner, the youngest being Patrick at 26 and the oldest being Benjamin at 38. Young men, but still old enough and experienced enough to handle themselves. They were all very familiar with the sea, and Ralph even made his living as a professional fisherman. When they left around 10 a.m., the sea was like glass, just calm and beautiful, a perfect day. But around 1 p.m., winds came down from the mountains, and the change in weather concerned Peter's father, John Hanchett Sr. So he and a few folks decided to go down to the shoreline to look for the men and possibly wave them in and tell them it's time to come home. John had this to say about that moment. By this time, it was really blowing a gale, and the rain was beginning to come down, and it was storming. We went out of Hana Harbor about a half a mile, and then down the coast, and I still didn't see any sign of the boys. The oceans were fierce. I've never seen it get that rough. The storm forced him to wait until the next day to search again, Then, Mr. Hanchett brought with him a friend, marine biologist John Naughton. When they found nothing, the next day, it now being three days since the men disappeared, Mr. Hanchett decided to get the Coast Guard involved. Captain Jim Cushman of the U.S. Coast Guard said this about the search. The initial place where we started searching was very ill-defined, because we weren't really sure exactly where the Sarah Joe had gone fishing so it encompassed a relatively large area, initially that first day, and then the area got bigger and bigger and bigger. When the search was finally suspended five days later, we had searched 73,000 square miles. Locals searched for weeks, even combing other beaches in hopes that they would at least see the wreckage of the Sarah Joe washed up on shore to bring some sort of closure. But nothing ever washed up. Nothing was found. Until... Do you remember that marine biologist I mentioned earlier? John Naughton, the one that helped in the initial search? Well, ten years later, on September 9th, 1988, Mr. Naughton was on a wildlife expedition near the deserted island of Tongi. While riding around the deserted coral islands with his crew, they spotted a boat washed up. So, they went ashore to inspect it. Naughton said, On the boat, there were still a few letters and numbers from the registration number, and immediately I saw that it started with an HA, which indicates that the boat was registered in the Hawaiian Islands. About 60 yards from the boat, they noticed a pile of coral rocks that looked put there on purpose. Upon inspection, they realized it was a shallow grave, with a crude cross placed at the head and a jawbone sticking out between some of the displaced rocks. They didn't immediately assume the grave was associated with the boat, but they did know that the island was uninhabited. The crew contacted the Coast Guard immediately, and a partial human skeleton was found and excavated, along with the following from Captain Cushman's description. 
It was a sheaf of paper, and I'd say a book, except it was not bound. Probably three inches by three inches by maybe three quarters of an inch thick. But between each one of these pieces of paper, there was a very small square piece of tinfoil material. We have not been able to determine who placed that there or what purpose it serves. They did a DNA test on the jawbone, and it was determined that it was in fact that of Scott Mormon, one of the five men who were lost with the Sarah Joe. Experts say that if the Sarah Joe had drifted with the storm, it would have arrived on the shore of Tangi in about three months. This is about to get even weirder. In 1985, there was a U.S. government survey of the island, and at that time, there was no trace or record of a boat or grave being found. So, where was the Sarah Joe between 1979, when it disappeared, and 1985, when there was a government survey? What happened to the other four men? Who buried Scott, and where were they now? After Scott's bones were discovered, the families of the men hired private investigator Steve Goodenow to return to the island and hopefully find any trace of the others. His team discovered more of Scott's bones and the boat's engine wedged underwater in a nearby reef. Goodenow, after seeing that the boat could not have made it where it was simply by washing up, it would have required some human effort, came up with a theory. He believes that the four other men perished in the storm, and that somehow Scott stayed with the boat, but also died. Goodenow then goes on to say that he believes that a Chinese fisherman buried Scott out of respect, but didn't report his body to the authorities because he was fishing illegally in the area. He uses the paper and foil as evidence that they may be part of a Chinese burial ritual representing money and fortune in the next life. Crew member Ralph Malayakini's brother, Robert, thinks Scott tied himself to the boat and that's why he was the only one found. If the boat simply washed ashore, why wasn't it there in 1985? Where was it for at least, at least six years because they didn't actually go until 1988, so that's another three-year window where it could have maybe been there, maybe not. Was it just a floating tomb for Scott Mormon's bones until someone like Goodenow's fictional fisherman just dragged him ashore and gave him a more respectful burial just out of the kindness of his heart? I'd love to know what you all think. Let me know. Our next mysterious disappearance involves a child, so it may be tougher for some of my listeners. Aisha Degree was born to Harold and Aquila Degree in 1990 in Shelby, North Carolina. On February 12, 2000, nine-year-old Aisha had a basketball game. She fouled out and was very upset by her performance and cried with her teammates after the game. On Sunday, February 13th, the next day, around 8 p.m., Aisha and her then 10-year-old brother, O'Brien, went to bed. They shared a room. Harold Degree said he checked on the children a few times as there was a storm and the power went out between 9 p.m. and 12.30 a.m. Harold said he then left to get Valentine's Day candy to surprise the kids and Aquila the next morning. He said he then watched TV until about 2.30 a.m., checked the children who were both asleep in their beds, and then he went to bed. 
Shortly after this, O'Brien recalls that he heard Aisha's bed squeak, but just went back to sleep, not thinking much of it. The squeak O'Brien heard was Aisha getting out of bed, grabbing a book bag she had packed with clothes, along with some personal items, and walked out of the house and into a terrible storm. We don't know much about Aisha's journey, but sometime around 4am, both a truck driver and another motorist saw little Aisha walking south along Highway 18 in the pouring rain. She was wearing a white, long-sleeved shirt and white pants. Neither of them reported this to the police until after they saw a report that she was missing, which is absolutely insane to me. I don't know, she was a nine-year-old girl walking alone at 4am in the rain. But the motorist claims he tried to make contact with the little girl. He said he circled three times, stating later that it was strange such a small child would be out by herself at that hour. Um, yeah. Aisha may have been frightened by him, because he said when he pulled around, she retreated quickly into the woods that ran alongside the highway. Aquila said that she awoke the next morning at 5.45, got ready for the day. It was both Valentine's Day and her and Harold's anniversary, so it was a very special day in the Degree household. She said the children had an alarm set for 6.30, but she decided to wake them up early because they hadn't gotten to bathe the night before because of the power outage. O'Brien was sleeping soundly, but Aisha wasn't in bed. Aquila searched the house. She searched both their cars. And finally, she told Harold she couldn't find Aisha. Harold suggested the little girl might have gone across the street to Aquila's mother's house, so she called over and her sister-in-law answered, but Aisha wasn't there either. That's when I went into panic mode. I heard a car next door. I put shoes on and ran outside. Aquila called her mother, who told her to call the police. By 6.40 a.m., police were there, as were police dogs to pick up Aisha's scent. Aquila said she didn't know what to do and walked up and down their street, screaming for Aisha. The community jumped in immediately to help. Neighbors, family members, several churches were all there to either support the Degree family directly or to help in the search. The only thing found by the end of the first day was a child's mitten, which Aquila said didn't belong to Asia. The next day, the search led to an empty shed off the highway near where Asia had been spotted by the motorist. Inside, they found candy wrappers, a pencil, a marker, and a Mickey Mouse-shaped hair bow, which the family identified as belonging to Aisha. On February 16th, Aquila found that Aisha's favorite clothes were also missing, including a pair of blue jeans with a red stripe down the sides. Investigators say that, judging by the items Aisha took with her, she had probably been planning on leaving for some time. I believe all of the items she took have not been released to the public, which is common in ongoing cases like this. Investigators keep back key pieces of knowledge or evidence from the media so that those only those involved would be able to identify certain things. A week later, after 9,000 man-hours had been invested in a search of the 2-3 to three mile radius of where she had last been seen, 
flyers posted all over the area, and 300 leads ranging from possible sightings to tips about abandoned houses and wells where Asia might have ended up. The search was called off. The problem was that they had zero leads. No one could say why this precious little girl was walking by herself along a highway in a rainstorm with a book bag of clothes. Did someone tell her to meet them? Was she running away from home? Some even suggested she was sleepwalking. On February 22nd, Sheriff Dan Crawford announced that they would expand their search to a much wider area. At that time, both the FBI and the SBI became involved. The SBI says that Aisha was younger than typical runaways, most runaways starting at age 12. Their idea was starting to be that maybe Aisha ran away due to family dysfunction or something to do with a bad school performance. Some armchair detectives go back to the fact that she was so upset after the basketball game and that along the way, she got lost or abducted. The Degree family did their best to get her story out there. Many of us know that black children who go missing are much less widely reported by the media than white children, and they were not about to let that happen to Asia. They went on the Montel Williams show, America's Most Wanted did a segment, um, as did Oprah Winfrey on her show. Aquila said to Jet Magazine in 2013, Missing white children get more attention. I don't understand why, she said. I know if you ask them, they will say it's not racial. Oh, really? I'm not going to argue, because I have common sense. On August 3rd, 2001, about a year and a half after she first went missing, Aisha's book bag, along with other items, were found during a construction project, 26 miles north of Shelby, where she was last seen. It was all wrapped in plastic, as if someone wanted to preserve it. The worker who found it said that it had Aisha's name and phone number. The FBI took it for further forensic analysis and have still not released the results publicly. In May 2016, the FBI announced it was looking for an early 1970s Lincoln Mark IV or Thunderbird, based on a tip that someone who looked like Asia may have gotten into a car like that on the North Carolina 18 around the time she disappeared. In October 2018, they did release a few extra bits of information, desperately hoping for someone to come forward. The items are a copy of Dr. Seuss's McElliott's Pool and a t-shirt depicting the band New Kids on the Block. Neither appeared to have been her property before they were found in her bag. The book was from the library at her elementary school. Cleveland County Detective Jordan Brown said in a video posted by the sheriff's office, if you or someone you know had this Dr. Seuss library book around the time of Aisha's disappearance and lost track of it, call us. I will try to track down those pictures and post them on the Instagram page. I'm sure I've got a listener or two in North Carolina or maybe who lived in North Carolina around that time. In 2008, the Degrees, wanting to honor their beautiful daughter's spirit, established a scholarship in her name for a deserving local student. They host an annual walk to raise awareness and money to fund their search. The walk starts at their home and ends at a missing persons billboard for Asia along Highway 18, near where she was last seen. 
Over the years, many age-progressed photos of Aisha have been released to the public. I'll post those two on Instagram. I believe they just came out with a new one just this year. I think it's the 20th anniversary this year. Um, in February it was. Aquila has never given up hope that her daughter will come home someday. I fully expect her to walk through the door, is what she says. A $45,000 reward is available for information on this case, according to the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office video. Anyone with information on the library book, the shirt, or other details can call 704-484-4822. The FBI and sheriff say that these items are critical in solving Aisha's case, and as I stated before, Aisha did not have these items when she left the house. The book was checked out at the Falston Middle School Library in early 2000. Again, the number is 704-484-4822. Please help bring the Degree family some peace if you can. And before we end the show today, um, I wanted to talk to you about a podcast I just discovered. And you know I love bringing you new podcasts. So, Guide to the Unknown is a podcast about horror. We like that here. Every week, siblings Kristen Anderson and Will Rogers discuss spooky pop culture, urban legends, and the paranormal while keeping it cozy and light. Something you could probably use after this episode. (laughs) My favorite episodes include a tour of the unique Disney haunted mansions around the world. I am dying to go to the one in France, by the way. Their story is way cooler than the one we have here. The account of a seance they attended in a paranormal bookstore. And the real-life story behind The Conjuring. New episodes come out every Friday on all major podcast apps, including Spotify. The episodes are recorded live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on youtube.com slash talkbomb. And if you miss it, the video is released on Friday alongside the podcast. I think that's so cool. I think it's so neat that so many podcasts are recording themselves doing the doing the thing. Go to gttupod.com for all the links to enjoy the show and follow at gttupod everywhere on social media. So yeah, go check them out. You guys need a break after me talking about all these missing people for, what has it been, about 45 minutes? <laughs> it's Guide to the Unknown, if you forgot. Guide to the Unknown. Go visit Kristen and Will. Okay, let's go ahead and wrap things up this week. Thank you so much for coming with me on one of these. You know, I always feel like apologetic when I have these weird off-topic um, or not, I, yeah, off topic to our like normal show, but you guys all really seem to like it when I have throw in something, throw you guys a curveball, and it's just like, instead of fiction this week, we're doing disappearances, we're doing time slips, we're doing lighthouses, we're doing the old west, like, and I really appreciate you dealing with my ADHD and dealing with my love for just mixing things up. And honestly, like I said, I, it really was true. It was really loud around here this week. And I, I feel like whenever my authors send me things, it's like a gift and I want to treat it well and treat it with respect because they took the time and effort to write this thing and send it to me. And I don't want to risk you know, these noises or whatever's happening. I mean, I know you heard noises earlier, at least it's gotten a little bit quieter now. Of course, of course, I told you guys I couldn't find a minute for it to be quiet. And now it's quieter. It's like, they're trying to make me look dumb, (laughs) but, um, they, you know, I just, 
I'm rambling. Can you tell I don't have a script? It's midnight. Um, let's go on to Patreon shoutouts, shall we? Oh, I was going to say, um, there were so many. Let me see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven tabs I have open of stories that I didn't get to. Um, I could have made this episode super long, I guess, but I don't know. Honestly, after Aisha's story and watching a lot of videos about her and seeing that just those big brown eyes staring back at me, I got real like sad. I mean, obviously it's very sad and I just needed to end the episode, <laughs> but we'll be back. I, if you liked that, you know what, if you liked these mysterious disappearances, let me know and we will do some more. I have a lot more, um, like old timey ones again, like that don't have as much info, but they're fun. Oh, I don't want to say fun. That's gross. It's about people disappearing. Please don't take, hold that against me. They're a lot more, um, fascinating. I, you know, those true, there's so many true crime shows now that treat human life. Like it's just entertainment and it's gross. It's late. Here I am just rambling, but let me know if you liked these mysterious disappearances. I will do another one. I'll probably do another one anyway, but let me know if you like them. Cause then I'll do another one sooner or something, or I won't, or I'll do another one on the main channel. And if you don't like it here, I'll probably just do it on Patreon. Cause my Patreon people just, they're amazing and so supportive. And I just love doing experimental stuff over there. Um, I do, I do more true crime. I actually had a whole thing I did on Patreon. If you're not a Patreon subscriber or you're new to Patreon and you haven't gone that far back yet, I did a whole episode on mysterious disappearances that I read from the Charlie project, which is a website that deals with, um, they kind of, um, keep files on all the like disappeared people, I think in the U S I think it's only in the U S but I could be wrong. I just only really remember that it was a lot of people in the U S but, um, it's stuff that goes way back. And that was really fascinating and really sad. It was a hard one to listen to. And I kind of got on a soapbox for a little bit. Just sue me. Um, but yeah, so I did that on that on Patreon. So if you're looking for more of this type of content, then join Patreon. It's a dollar for my lowest tier and you get a shout out and it's cool. Speaking of Patreon, let's do those shout outs, shall we? Thank you so much. Huge, big hug and warm welcome to Shireen Phillips, Kim Bramel, Bramel, Ramel. It's one of those three, I think. And Eraser Rabbit. Thank you so much for, for joining me, for joining the fa I always, I hesitate saying family. Family's gotten a weird connotation when it's not your actual family. You know, it's like the Manson family. And then when you, you have you ever worked places where they say we're a family and then it turns out it's just super toxic and they say that. So you'll feel guilty about like calling in sick one day. Anyway, welcome to the, to the, what are we? I don't know what we are. If you think of something cool, let me know. Um, what's a group of something that sounds cool um i don't know welcome to patreon welcome to patreon uh yeah it's again it's late and that last story really messed me up um they all were sad but you know it's like every once in a while st certain stories i'm sure people out there who listen to true crime a lot more and who maybe even host true crime podcasts of your own um you get to some stories where it just like it hits you real weird and Asia just did that to me. Um, so I'm going to go 
and have some tea and probably watch something dumb on YouTube. That's how I relax. Um, yeah. Hope you guys enjoy your night. Oh, I'm back on Facebook, by the way. I took a big, big, fat, like, several-month break. Um, and I'm back under a new account because of all the weirdness that went on with, you know, all the weird emails I was getting. And so I'm under a new account. Um, I'm keeping it a little bit lower key. I'm probably not actually going to post a lot other than in the scary to sleep group, but I'm back in the scary to sleep group to interact with. We let's talk, let's talk about this episode. Let's talk, you know, let's talk about this episode. Tell me your feelings. Tell me your theories. I want to hear your theories. Tell me about your favorite disappearance stories and something you'd like to see on another episode. Like this week, I almost did the solder children, which is such a crazy, fascinating story. It's, it's honestly, it's, it's so much. And if you've heard the solder children story, you may not even hear, have heard all of it. I've watched several videos and read lots of things on them. And some of them just kind of give the gist of what happened, but there's like crazy stuff that went on afterwards. And there was a photo and oh my God, it's really interesting. But since we're all in the same realm of liking paranormal things and true crime and all that stuff, I thought maybe you've all heard that story way too many times. And we're like, I've heard the solder children on so many different podcasts. I cannot hear about the solder children again. So let me know. I've got coming up. I'll let you know what I have coming up. See if any of these tickle your fancy. I've got the princes in the tower. Um, I'm not going to give you any details. I'll just say names. So if names ping and you're like, Ooh, I really want to hear about that person. Or I already know about that person. Please stop. Every podcast has done that. Um, just let me know. Ambrose Bierce, um, who I didn't know went missing by the way. I had no idea. That's going to be kind of a short one, but I had no idea that Ambrose Bierce went missing. And I talk about him all the time. I'm always telling people about an occurrence at Owl Creek bridge. Anyway, which I haven't read on the show for some reason. I love that story. Um, Keith Reinhard, Brian Schaefer, um, Owen Parfit, Barbara Newhall Fullett. That one's crazy. That one's another one that I had never heard of. A few of these, like I had heard of before that one I'd never heard of. And sure. Her story's sad. Flight 19, the Sodder children, um, the Fort Worth missing trio, which if you listen to any true crime, I know they've all done this story, but it is so bizarre and I'd like to do it. Um, Percy Harrison Fawcett, who was kind of like the real life Indiana Jones, um, the missing, the mysterious vanishing battalion of world war one, which was the Royal Norfolk regiment. Um, that one's crazy. Uh, obviously I said that about like all of them, but if any of those sound really interesting to you and you already kind of know, but you want to hear me talk about them just cause you know, we're friends and we like to hang out. Um, then let me know. Or if there's some that you've never heard of and like, that's what I get excited about. I, I research this stuff all the time just for fun. And so when I find something I've never heard of, it's so exciting. So if there's one that like you've never heard of and you're super into disappearances then let me know and I'll, I'll do it. <sighs> She's rambling again. Make her stop. Make her stop. I'm just doing the dishes and my hands are wet and I can't turn off the episode and she just won't stop talking. And like, I can't get to the, the phone because my hands are wet. I know. I, I feel you. I'm letting you go. All right. Um, follow me on Twitter, Tumblr, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram. I'm going to put a bunch of pictures on Instagram from this episode. Much like my Lighthouse episode, this one has, you know, for my Lighthouse and my Castles episode. The Castle, that's the one I always forget. My cat. I like to put up pictures of each of, you know, the things I'm talking about. So for this one, I'll put up 
different related photos. Um, I won't put up anything gruesome or anything. I just related photos. Um, so yeah, I'm going to let you go. Uh, Lord, go get some sleep. I'm saying that to me too. Uh, and sweet dreams. <laughs>